that, baby! But here, I've met a lot of people and I've played some too. And there's one thing I know, people like to talk. <laughs> it's the Spudcast. That's where you at. So I'm talking to uh, the world-famous uh, Dino Asanto. He's world-famous because there's an internet. But actually, you are the son and grandson of uh, the most celebrated Dixieland jazz band, certainly in the 50s and 60s. I mean, they were number one in the world, the, uh, the Dukes of Dixieland, the Asantos. That, that is correct. They started in about 1949 when they were still teenagers, brothers Frank and Freddie, Frank on trumpet, Freddie on trombone. Uh, Papa Jack was their father, who was the first um, musical professor at Redemptor's High School in 1949. That was the year Frank graduated from high school. Uh, they went on to be the number one jazz band in the country. And how, I mean, you know, it's it's not hard to break into show business now. Uh, I mean, no, that's not true. Let me take that back. It is hard to break into show business, but it's not hard for you to get out there. Since the internet is out there, you can, put, you can make your own YouTube channel. You can do all kinds of such. These are guys who had to, like, go the old-fashioned route and go touring and interest a music uh, recording company. And, then, I mean, that was a stiff ladder to climb back then. Yeah, and, and honestly, I kind of amazed with it myself. I know all the intricacies and all the details about how they got their career started. And to try to give you the edited version of that would be in 1949, Horace Heights National Show. It was called the, uh, what was it called? The, I can't think of the name, but I'll come to I never heard. I never heard of Horace Heights, yeah, so there Horace you go. Heights, and he came down. It was, an, it, was like, it was kind of like America's Got Talent back then. Okay. okay. So he comes to New Orleans, and they put a band together. Frank and Freddie heard that they were coming. They got a bunch of people together, and one of the guys they got together was Pete Fountain with the band, okay? All right. Now, Pete started playing with Frank and Freddie prior to that, and this is how these innovative these kids were. And I say kids because they were still teenagers. Um, they would play at the football games at Tad Gormley, okay? My father and my uncle and friends in the band, they would decorate a pickup truck. One of their fathers had a pickup truck, and they would decorate it in the visiting team's colors, and they would pull up to the gate of Tad Gormley. So when the guy at the gate saw them, he didn't know who they were, but they had the colors of the visiting team, so he'd open up the gate, the truck would pull in, they'd park behind the field goal, the end zone of the opposing team, and every time they'd score, they'd just start playing. And so it just so happened this one particular day, Pete Fountains played in Warren Easton's band, okay? Mm -hmm. And he was in the grandstands playing with the, the official band, the high school band, and he saw these guys doing this. He thought it was great, went over and introduced themselves, and they became friends, and they continued to do that. So they made a name for themselves in the circle of the high schools because they thought it was funny. We were, we're, yeah, doing, we're duping everybody. That is. <laughs> you know, we're going to get into the gig and we're going to play all well, That was genius, though, putting the colors of the opposing team, though, because right. if they'd have done the regular team, they would have caught on too quick. Correct. And that was the whole idea. So what they ended up doing was... Uh, the Horace Heights show comes to New Orleans, and they come in first place in the regional finals and whatnot. So they go to the finals in Atlanta. They lost to some girl singer up in Atlanta. but they Some girl singer who, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. probably somebody famous. Yeah, maybe. no, probably somebody who, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> and they come in second she used place her, She used everything to her advantage. Right. Yeah. They, come okay. up to say, they come in second place up there, come back home, do a six-month tour with Horace Heights. They wanted to quit high school, and of course they couldn't quit high school. They were known then as the Junior Dixieland Band. Okay, and so my dad and their, his parents, my grandparents, Papa Jack and Mama Joe, Josephine, they were trying to get a name. They couldn't figure out what name to call themselves because they didn't want, after touring with Horace Height, they didn't think that they were juniors anymore. They wanted yeah. to be something a little older, you know. So my grandmother knew that. Well, also when you said juniors, it gives a, 
a certain look, you know, a thought that like, like I'm not, I'm not going to go listen to that. It's going it, it, to, the people don't realize what's the name of it that they're going to be dealing. Oh, is this going to be a high school band? I, I got my own high school band. Right. It's yeah. It just kind of diminishes there what they thought they were good enough to do. Now they had been playing at Tony Amarico's Parisian room on Royal Street, the 100 block of Royal Street, underage as they were at the time. Everybody, and, you know, yeah. well, guess how old I was when I was in the French Quarter drinking, you know? <laughs> well, that was still the same back in 1949. So they were playing that gig, and my dad's favorite band was uh, Sharky Bananas, Kings of Dixieland. And what they were, they were playing down the famous door, and so my grandmother says, uh, Mama Joe looks at Frank and Fred and says, hey, you can't be the Kings, why don't you become the Dukes of Dixieland? Well, that's how they created the name Dukes of Dixieland. That's cool. Um, and they played at the famous door. Uh, they played there, it was supposed to be only for three nights, one week, one month, for three to four weeks, and it ended up being three and a half years. And in that time, that's when all the big people were coming around the country down yeah. to New Orleans for jazz, and so their name caught on, and plus being a Sicilian family when everything in the quarterback then was, you know, a lot of Italians and things like that, and that's how they, they started. Um, so the Dukes of Dixieland started at the famous door, and then, I mean, how, because I know, I've seen pictures you show me all the time of, like, uh, Louis Armstrong at y'all house yeah. in Vegas. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they, they toured the world and ended up doing shows in Vegas like Celine Dion, except they ate better. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they ate a lot of spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> so ate some, just eat, yeah, eating a piece of bread is better than Celine Dion. Yeah, yeah I tell you, well, she does not eat a lot. So, no. But, but anyway, yeah, well, that, that turnabout came to be because back in 1952 or 1953, Lewis was playing over at the Municipal Auditorium, and there was a manager that was managing the band, Frank and Freddie's band, that the Dukes at the time. His name was Joe Delaney. Freddie had gone to one semester of college, Freddie or Santo had gone to one semester of college at Tulane to become a lawyer, as if we needed more lawyers. Yeah, really. Then. Joe Delaney was his classmate. Well, after he saw what Frank and the band was doing down at the Famous Door, he dropped out of college, and he started to play full-time at the Famous Door with his brother Frank, and Lewis was playing over at the Municipal Auditorium, so Joe Delaney took him over to the Famous, over to the Municipal Auditorium to go meet Lewis, and that's the first time they met him, it was around 1952. So they... So, I mean, but, but Lewis was playing a gig. A gig at, yes. okay, so he had a concert going in there. They just yes. went in there to listen to it. They didn't get to sit in with him right there. No, then. they didn't sit in with him. Back then, you really couldn't get on stage. It's a black and white issue. You weren't allowed to. Uh, they weren't allowed to, to play together. And that's what makes everything a little bit, I say dicey, but not really. Um, there's a song that really was the number one song of jazz song back in the 50s and even through the 60s, even to this day, some people consider it the trademark song. It's called Bourbon Street Parade. It was written by Paul Barberin. Paul Barberin wrote it, had seen the Dukes play over the famous door, and he said, you know, before I played, before Paul himself were to record it, he handed the musical score to my father, and the Dukes played it and recorded it first. So they made that song world famous, and they were the first band to ever record and play, and Paul Barberin was a man of color. He was a black gentleman. So there was an integration of all those blacks and whites back then, even though they weren't supposed to, uh, my family broke the ice on all that and didn't really care. It was about playing music. And really? that's how they kind of, so they, they got the back. Well, I mean, let me ask you, did he bring that, did he bring that song to uh, Bourbon Street Parade? Did he bring that to your father? To, because he thought maybe he would have a better shot of getting exactly that. Exactly right. Exactly. Okay. I mean, he, he didn't. Exactly. He didn't bring it to him thinking, "Oh, they're going to play it better than me." Oh no. What they are no. going to do is they're going to open doors, and all they got to see is a name. They won't know I'm black. Paul, no, no, no. Was smart. Oh, okay. Paul Barber was a smart enough man to realize, you know, in the temperament of the life it was back then, handed a good song to somebody who they saw as a young up and coming family band. It was a family thing. 
have to but it was also they had, they had the talent oh, i mean the they talent were going to do yeah. right by the tune yes yes by all means and so they ended up playing here to, at the famous door until about 1953 or 54 then they said well like all the other jazz musicians they left new orleans went to chicago recorded with pete found in the band at the time pete had come and gone wasn't in the band consistently they recorded one rca album up there by that time that was there uh, he had already recorded for OK Records, Capitol Records, and uh, you know now RCA. So they were up there in '55, and then from Chicago at that time they moved to Las Vegas. And at that point they signed up with a record company called Audio Fidelity. Audio Fidelity Records was yeah. owned by Sid Fry, and Sid Fry was the first record company, and the Dukes were the first band in America to record in stereo. No, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, it was October or November 1957. So they recorded 12 albums with them, uh, with Audio Fidelity, 12 volumes. I and mean, those were the ones that skyrocketed their um, their careers because not only did they record stereo, prior to that was high fidelity. And what was going on was my dad did not trust Sid Fry. And I don't know all the nuances, but Sid Fry was going to record these albums and sell them for $2 more. So per album back in the fifties, that's two dollars is a lot of money, I guess. You know, so per album, yeah. Per album. I remember uh, what was uh, uh, Glenn Miller was telling his dad, you know, we're recording these albums, and and it's in the movie. Jimmy Stewart says that. How much you get every time they sell? I get three cents, three cents for every album they sell. It's like, okay, you know, you get paid in bubble gum. What's the money? I think they did. Pretty well, because I have a canceled check from a partial royalty payment from Sid Fry and Audio Fidelity made out to my father, and it's dated December 10th, 1958, which just so happens to be eight days after I was born. It's about just barely, a, not even a month after I was yeah. born. And the check is $100,000. Wow. So you're talking $100,000 partial royalty payments. From in, 58, in 58, partial. Yeah, because in 59 was the first time Sid Fry got together with Louis Armstrong and Joe Glazer, his manager from ABC Promotions, mm -hmm. and they connived and contrived a, an agreement to where Louis was going to perform with the Dukes, and they ended up recording three to four C albums at the time, and they did TV shows, they did a couple of uh, Timex Jazz Hour shows with uh, Jackie Gleason as a narrator, as a commentator during the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Gary Moore. The so Gary they were right up there with the biggest. Correct, correct. I mean, Gary Moore was huge. Yeah. You know, Jackie Gleason, we all know. Gary Moore's name didn't carry out as far as Jackie Gleason's did, but Gary no, Moore in the, in the at the time, part, yeah. he was massive. Yeah, he was a jazz enthusiast, and he backed and supported the jazz. And so, you know, so I've got pictures of all of them on the TV shows. They did three Ed Sullivan shows in one year. Yeah, I remember watching one. I clicked on, uh, and everybody, y'all can do that. You can just Google up uh, uh, the Dukes of Dixieland on YouTube, and one of them is 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 him is uh, Ed Sullivan saying that the number one jazz, jazz band in a in a country, in a, practically in the world. Yeah. So, yeah. all right, gonna step away for a second. Uh, we're talking with Dino Asanto uh, and the music that'll be playing at our upcoming uh, event, November the sixth. The uh, the Dixieland Jazz Brunch and the Asunto Dukes will be playing. Stick around, coming right back at you. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? The next time you have to travel, take along a couple of pounds of Parish coffee and you won't be missing New Orleans for long. Brewed right here in the land of coffee lovers, Parish coffee has the taste you're looking for. From dark roast to coffee and chicory to flavored coffees like Bananas Foster or Bourbon Pecan, French Vanilla or King Cake or you name it, Parish Coffee has a flavor just right for you. Look for the bright purple bag in the coffee aisle of your favorite market. Or order it online. Have it sent right to your door. 
What a perfect gift for any coffee aficionado. Sip the soul of New Orleans in every cup of Parish Coffee. Spud here. Have you ever heard of someone buying back their wrecked car from the insurance company? Me neither. Everyone I know wants the insurance company to total their car so they can get another one. But ABC Title has heard of it. It's called a reconstructed title. And ABC Title can put yours together scary fast. You're going to need the original title, which ABC can get for you if you don't have it, a physical inspection, repair receipts, and proof of insurance. Go to abctitle.com and click on services to find out more. And I promise, no one will judge you for buying back your wrecked car. They may giggle at you a little, but no one will judge you. That doesn't sound too good. You better start filling sandbags. Oh, wait, you don't have to do that anymore because you have the home team advantage. You called Home Team Elevation at 504-301-1222, and you got your home lifted above the flood. No more worries for you. But what about your mama's house or your uncles or your brothers? Home Team is ready to lift their spirits even higher than your home. Get the Home Team advantage by calling 504-301-1222 or go to hometeamelevation.com. <laughs> Talking to Dino Asanto again, the world famous Dino Asanto, because there is an internet. Actually, I'm world famous too. I have my own Wikipedia page that I did not put together. I didn't put it up. I'm going, I don't know how. You might want to read it and make sure it's right. Well, I have read it and there's stuff in it. I mean, it needs to be updated. So whoever did my Wikipedia page, go in there and tell them, I, I, you know, I don't work there no more. But uh, uh, so we're talking about the upcoming event, the uh, Dixieland Jazz Brunch. Uh, in home at the municipal auditorium if you go to one of several facebook pages my facebook page is uh, uh spuds friends and fans john mcconnell john spud mcconnell um and uh the tcu food bank uh, facebook page all of those have a a, a, sh a flyer with a link and if you click on that link it'll take you to this web page where you can purchase tickets you can uh, buy and sponsor a table you can see all the stuff that's already on the uh uh, on the donation, uh, it's a silent auction, but there's going to be a live auction there too. Oh, okay. But there's already a bunch of cool stuff on there. I mean, like you know, cruises, and they used to have a uh, uh, what is that remake of the uh, of the Lombardi Trophy that Drew Brees signed? But oh, somebody okay. bought that off. It's <laughs> not ain't gonna bring that over here. I got that, so that's not on the list anymore. Got any like Super Bowl rings in there? I wish. Yeah, yeah. we can go find that guy who stole Franco so, Harris's yeah. rings. <laughs> He's an idiot. You left all his rings in a briefcase backstage. Somebody, anybody walked off with that. That's okay. Good football players ain't exactly geniuses. But we are having an event, and the Asunto Dukes are going to play. Uh, so I won't get into all the legal stuff, but you can't use the term Dukes of Dixieland. But right. so, so the Asunto Dukes, which is a tribute band to the Dukes of Dixieland, Correct. your family's band. Right. Um, so let's start out. Okay, you, you talked last time about Bourbon Street Parade. And they were handed the sheet music by who again? Paul Barber. Paul Barber. 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 He was a drummer. Drummer, and he wrote it, and so he's handing them the, the music and such. Right. But, I mean, you, there is so much. Um, okay, I knew Pete Fountain. God bless him. 
Uh, he pe- he played with your with yes. your he played in the Dukes of Dixieland off and on. Well, he played at the beginning before they were the Dukes, and then he played with them when they were the Dukes in 1955 and recorded that one album in Chicago with RCA. With and that was it. At the Jazz Band Hall. And the rest of the time, they just had a different player. Yeah. Different clarinetists. Yeah, they had different ones come and go here and there. So some they would come and go. So you had the, yeah. the core. You had Papa Jack, Frankie, and Freddie with a core. And who was your... Uh, Betty. Betty was married to Frank to Freddie Asanto, my uncle. He was a trombone player. Betty used to be a, a hillbilly, not country, a hillbilly singer out of East Baton Rouge. When she was like nine years old, <laughs> she was singing with Governor Jimmy Davis. On oh the God, I could I could hear that twang right now. Who twang me? I made the mistake one day of telling somebody right in front of Aunt Betty that she was a country singer. She said, oh, Dina, I'm a hillbilly. So said, there ain't right. no hills up there. <laughs> yeah, I said, it's but, not Ignatius Riley, yeah. those rolling hills near Baton Rouge. Yeah, they ain't got no hills over there. Yeah, so Betty was a great singer. It was a family unit that drove, drove around the country together, flew around the country to do their chores. I'll give you a, a for instance real quick just to show you how busy that they were. I had my dad's scheduled day books that have his little schedules in it. I had about six or eight years of them. And then halfway through the book, it would say like, 84 and then a slash 125 or 165 or 180 and I used to wonder what it was when I got to one of the ends of one of those books it says the 65 is days at home the 180 is days on the road so that was he was out of town one third or 30 percent of every year he was on at home yeah two-thirds of the year he was on the road with the band on the road and then and then at home also was Vegas Vegas. So they, I mean, when they were in Vegas, they were playing. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, so, yeah. So, that was full so. time. Vegas, Chicago, New York was their mainstay where we lived. Yeah. You know, so well, we did a lot of traveling. Once them. they left New Orleans, did they ever come back and stay here for any length of time? Uh, Freddie never made it back. He ended up dying in 1966, and he was buried back in uh, Las Vegas. His body was then taken down to New Orleans, where they're all buried together in one spot in Greenwood Cemetery. Um, we lived in Chicago, then lived in Las Vegas, then back to Chicago in 1967. We moved down here to, from Chicago to New Orleans, back to New Orleans. Papa Jack, when Freddie died, left Las Vegas and came back to New Orleans, and that was about 1966. So we all came back in the late 60s, except for Freddie's family, which stayed out in Vegas until about 69. So That's sad. Yeah, it's life. You know, they did a fast one and a hard one, and they had a good time doing it, and they left a big legacy of music, and that's what... We're doing with the band that we have right now, the band that will be performing at your yeah, event. The Yasanto Dukes. Yeah, it's a tribute. Um, we never, there's some legal issues that I had to, you know, I had to climb through 12 years in the courts. Um, it really wasn't about the band name. I am a firm believer that Frank and Freddie developed something themselves, created something, and they died. They died young, but they left a legacy. I never thought that anybody should use that name since their death, even if it was myself. I would never put a band called in the Dukes of Dixieland, because they're not. They're dead. So what we did, in retrospect, was we put a band together called the Asunto Dukes Tribute. It's a tribute to Frank and Freddie and their, and their Dukes of Dixieland. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guys we have in the band, uh, from Jim Sign on tuba, Ryan Burge on clarinet, we have L.G. Sullivan on drums. We have Ben Harris on... Snag? Yeah, I forgot to tell you. Snag is playing. Oh my! Yeah. Oh man! I was going to surprise you with that. Uh, ben Herrick on trombone, and then we have um, which is uh, Danny Rubio's playing keyboards. 
So we have a, a good contingency. And then Lexi is singing. And Lexi sings, but I don't know if she'll be there, to be quite honest with you. She's a single mom running the uh, single mom trip. Yeah, so. I got you. But that's okay because two of the guys in the band sing. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, and that's Jack, something else y'all, y'all can do. And real quick, Jack Pritchett and will be on our trumpet, and he's the lead guy, and he's a really good entertainer. So it's going to be a Yeah, show. well, I've seen, you, I've, I've seen you perform. That's why I asked you to come and do this thing. But, uh, yeah, that's something else, too. You can just... Uh, Go to YouTube and search the Asunto Dukes, and there's a whole bunch of things so you can hear uh, hear oh, links yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. We, we, actually, as a nuance, we play at the Bourbon Orleans Hotel, the Bourbon Bar, every Friday night. We've been there for the past nine months. <laughs> All right. So when uh, yeah, this like I said, this is going to be on several Facebook pages and on. Red Circle and Spotify and Stitcher, all the places that you go to for your podcast. And with that link, there will be a link to the event so you can buy tickets. Let's talk about the band, though. Uh, okay, so we had the uh, this Bourbon Street Parade was written out. How much of the music did they do that was like sheet music that they read? And how much do these guys playing together do sheet music? Well, they had some of the sheet music, but they really, it's, it's, a, it's a, how do I say, a well-rehearsed improvisation is a good way to say it. Um, well, I'm thinking about, you know, okay, Huey Long, who I played for 30 years. Huey Long almost never read from a note right. when he would speak. He, he spoke off the cuff all the time, except when he was on the radio. And, and I mean, he would, he would go all over the place, but he had a script to know to stick with. And when he was on the floor of the Senate, you know, the rest of the time he spoke off the cuff. The thing of it is, he's by himself speaking off the cuff. You're talking about a, a group of guys who are all just world-class jazz musicians, right. but, you know, until you put them together, this guy plays this way and that guy plays that way. I mean, how... Well, with, with the, what's good about all this is that there were so many good recordings that the Dukes had recorded over the years that they can refer to. So each one of these guys has listened to and has studied the music of the Dukes. Once they found out that they were playing for the Asanto family, they did their own research. They did their own, uh, I guess you could say, rehearsals for themselves and know what style, the enthusiasm by which, the temperament of the song, and, and the enthusiasm by which they play. It's not a sleepy time jazz stuff. You're not going to fall asleep. They have slow songs, but yeah. each song has a nice syncopated pace to it by which it's indicative to the original Duke sound. And that's what they're doing. You can't ever reproduce or tell a musician, play every note, note for note, just like this. Because no. th then they sound scripted and they don't sound fluid. These guys sound fluid. They look at each other on stage. They've been playing together for so long now. Yeah. You know what? It just reminds me of, uh, and this is so stupid to make a reference to television, but it reminds me of an episode of MASH. And David Ogden stars Charles Winchester, the doctor. And there was a guy in there with a messed up hand, you know, and they found out he was a concert pianist. And, and so he went to a lot of trouble to get him, like, the sheet music that was written for a one-handed player because then the guy... And he said, he made a perfect point. He goes, you, you have already experienced something I never will be able to. I can play the notes, but I can't play the music. Right. And that's, that's the thing about these guys is that every one of them, they have surpassed the notes to, to live in the music. And that's what everybody's going to experience when they come well, to the jazz brunch. Well, you play, you know, you have your solos, and when the musician, one instrument, there's a solo, a trumpet solo, say, or even the tuba solo, the keyboard solo, that's one thing. But when this band is playing, it's just like when the, the original Deuce and Frank and Freddie played, you could look at any instrument as the ensemble is playing full swing together. You can see each musician is playing a different tempo, a different song, and that song, I shouldn't say, I, I, it's a... 
a different margin in the song, and you yeah. say, you know, and then all of a sudden it just all collides at the same time at the same point when they switch over to the next tempo of the song. In other words, when they switch over to another, you know, solo or whatnot. You can hear them, they're all going off in their own directions and they're all together in syncopation and the next thing you know is all of a sudden they're locked into guided together. And it's, uh, it's so it's, Yeah, it's very cool. I yeah. mean, this is, you are, you, this is an experience. Unless, I mean, unless you want to go into the city. <laughs> like, I do well, every Friday night. Yeah, every Friday <laughs> night. But, I mean, these are some of the people, they should be, Bourbon, these, these guys should be on Bourbon Street. Bourbon Street is not what it used to be. No, no. But, you see, I have to admit, though, the Bourbon Hill Bar and the Bourbon Orleans Hotel, yeah. a very nice hotel, and they treat us very well. They give us the valet parking, so we pull right up, walk right in. Not a problem. They get the food to the guys in the van. It's a four-hour gig. But it's 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 interesting. It's fun because it's an upscale place. It's not this yeah. is not your dirty old shabby old place. Not that's nothing wrong with dirty old shabby old. Place. You know, I, I I've had uh, many a good evening in a dirty old shabby yeah. old place, but I don't go to them for but, music. Yeah, and so no, it's it's a very upscale. And of course, we wear the outfits like the Dukes used to wear. You know, Papa Jack's father was a master tailor that was taught in Paris, France. And so when they came to America in 1900, he started a tailoring company. And the next thing you know is when the boys, as they were in the late 40s, their grandfather, the tailor, was making coats and jackets for them. That's why every picture you ever see of the original Dukes, they always were high-dressed, high-style. Except style. for that high-style, but except for that one, that one publicity photo that you sent. So there's Frank and there's Freddie in the red stripes, but Papa Jack is in some like tweed well, number. Well, that's, you know? yeah, that's, there's a nuance to that. And the reason for this is, and that's good you brought that up. It's kind of like a family thing here. Papa Jack was teaching at Redemptress. They had Betty was a special attraction as a singer. Well, in 1955, Betty decided that she going to get pregnant after getting married to Freddie. Well, she was not going to sing on stage pregnant. All their contracts read that they had a special, a special guest. Mm. So now Betty, not the special guest anymore, so they looked at Papa Jack and said, hey, Papa Jack, quit teaching at Redemptress, join us on the road. So Papa Jack was a special guest, and the special guest never wore the jacket of the, like, the rest of the band. Astounding. Well, it's a it's, it's, it's sneaky, tie. though. It's sneaky, <laughs> it's and yet it's brilliant up front. Okay, so the event is coming up November the 6th, and again, uh, you can look at all any of these Facebook pages uh, you know, uh, TCU Food Bank's Facebook page, John Spud McConnell, uh, John McConnell, uh, the big TZ. Uh, anyway, there, you can find all of them there and click on it and get your tickets. This is an event that you don't want to miss. Great food, great music, very cool stuff in the auditions, in the uh, auction stuff, and uh, and we'll all be there. And you can see us on WWL Morning Show on the 27th, 27? October the 27th. 27. In so, the morning, we'll be doing a show with the jackets and everything. Uh, trombone player won't be there because he's a professor of music out of Baton Rouge teaching, and he's getting his doctorate. But the rest of the band will be there, and you'll be there. And, and a good time. Yeah. Good time will be had by all. Thanks a bunch, Dino. Yeah, thank you. All right, wrapping it up right after this. But here, did you know ABC Title's been around 30 years? 30 years! And those 30 years went by scary fast. And now with seven locations, they're even scarier and faster. Everything from license plates to a notary public. Plus, as if they weren't scary fast enough, you can go online at abctitle.com, start the ball rolling before you even get there. Get road ready in record time with your scary fast DMV service company, ABC Title. Go to abctitle.com for online service and the location nearest you. Ha, ha, ha.